Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 312. Today, I want to take you just a little deeper into the Holy of Holies. As yesterday, we talked about the tent of meeting called the tabernacle, the first and second temple from a historical standpoint. But what we need to understand is that it was the great rallying point for the children of Israel. The tabernacle and later the temples were the central places of worship. These were the places, yes, places where all of life in ancient Israel revolved. Everything was central to the tabernacle while they were in the wilderness, while they were at Shiloh, later in the temple, Jerusalem, Mount Moriah was the center of all the earth and the center of the Israelite worship and is central in the coming Messiah's reign on earth. And so this is not just about a place, however... It is about a place, and sometimes we as evangelicals, we are so dead set on making sure that there's nothing iconic about us, that there is nothing that is spatial about us, that that everything has to be spiritual, that we miss God. Because you see, God is spirit, but he has given us concrete places and concrete events to help crystallize our relationship with him. This is why gathering together is so important for the local body. It's not about a building, but it is a place where we meet together, just like the ancient Jews when the temple was destroyed during that Babylonian period. And even as the temple was being built, the second temple, the Beit Knesset uh, came into existence. What we call now, because of the Greek language, the synagogue system came into existence existence and really caught fire uh, as far as spreading throughout the ancient world during the Persian period. And that was even after the temple was built. But let me just go back to refresh your memory on just how important this was. As I mentioned just briefly yesterday, and that's all I can do in the time that we have for a podcast while you're driving or listening, but I would love to sit down hours with you and talk to you about the central nature of worship and a routine of worship that God wants us into, and it seems like we've become more spiritual than God, and we have to spiritualize everything when God many times is trying to concretize things for us so that we can have a routine to get into so that it will help bind us to a ritual that will help us to walk with him. After all, it was King David who said he sought the Lord and had time for God in the evening, in the morning, and at noon. I mean, if King David, with all of his tasks, and multitudinous work. Of course, you and I can do that, and we can pretty well do what we set a priority to do and what we feel like is important. And so it's important that we develop habits and rituals of discipline, and we don't even talk about that anymore because we're too quick to pull the trigger on saying, no, you don't need to do anything that is religious. And that's just not Bible. That is just not sound teaching. Christianity, whether you like it or I like it, is a religion. 
Yes, we have a personal relationship with Jesus, but that doesn't mean it's private. We are made for community. God saved us for community. And so when the children of Israel, the reason that they had to have the great lessons at Sinai is they had been in a foreign land for 400 years and it had not crystallized in their heart that God was bringing them into a land that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It wasn't for their sakes he was doing it. It was for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to show God's faithfulness. And so he had to bring them into this gathering at Sinai so that he could constitute them as a nation, give them their foundational documents, the law, the ceremonial law, the instruction, because Torah doesn't mean law. We've made it synonymous with law. It's not. The word Torah means instruction. So it's instruction in life and how to know God and how to walk with God. For ancient Israel and for much of what we do today, it is a pattern for us. And so God said, I'm going to give you a worship center because you need to learn how to approach me. You need to learn who I am and about my holiness and my distinctiveness. And so I'm going to give you a ritual to follow. And it was very meticulous. And the blueprint was meticulous that God gave, the schematic that God gave to Moses. He gave, and he said it's pattern, and the book of Hebrews chapter 9 backs this up, that it was patterned after the worship center in heaven. We'll get to that in the next uh, couple of days of podcast. But it's very important that we understand the central nature of this worship center. You see, the tent of meeting was the first thing that was set up wherever it was that the pillar of fire or the cloud showing the presence of God, wherever it sat down, that's where the tabernacle was to be set up. And the tribes could not go to their particular location. They couldn't just say, okay, I'm, I, I call shotgun. I, I'm going to be at the um, uh, eastern gate this time. No, God said Judah's going to be at the eastern gate. Not only did he say Judah's going to be at the eastern gate, at the entrance, the tribe of praise and the tribe of, of gratitude, But he said, I'll say who's on either side. I'll say who's on the west side, who's on the east side, who's on the south side. And it's all built around that central worship center. Now, what does that tell us? That's instructive. This is Torah. God's trying to tell us something. The first thing we need to get settled in our life is the place of God and the place of worship. And we build everything else out around that. If we could just see that. This is why I say to congregations all over America and around the world, these very words. Jesus does not want to be an upgrade in your life. He doesn't want to be an addendum, an appendix, something you can do with or without. Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your life. That is his desire. He wants to be the very reason you get up of the morning, the reason you go to bed at night so you can rest, so you can get up and worship and serve him the next day. God made us for his glory, not for our own glory, but for his, not for our own appetites, but for his, not for our own ambition, but for his. You see, God made us for himself. And so that central place of worship was instructive. Same thing's true of the temple. So yesterday I began to help you to understand something of the way in. Because when God in chapter 25 begins to tell Moses about the schematic and how to build this and how to set up the ceremonial worship, what he did was he started with the ark. He started with the chest. 
We cannot do that. So we have to go outside and walk back into God because we're not God. And you can't even teach it that way. Why? Because you can't just say, okay, uh, here we are at the ark. Well, how did we get there? What are all these other things about? Well, you see, you've got to work your way to that particular teaching about the ark and the mercy seat, what we call the mercy seat. And so I want to talk to you about that. And again, God made me, I grew up very simple on a working farm and on a, on a place where we just had enough for that day. And then we worked through to the next day and no cash money and growing up like people did in the thirties and forties, only it was in the sixties and seventies. And so my mind goes to how to simplify things, how to get by, how to, how to boil this down to the syrup. And so I want to talk to you just very honestly and plainly today. So you can understand about this because sometimes we get caught up in this Elizabeth in English, and we don't see things really as they are, and we make it fancier than what God means for it to be, and it causes us great problems because people are, are thinking something that they shouldn't. For instance, when we talk about the ark, and remember, this is in context of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which is today. It is a Wednesday, and it is uh, the day that the Jews have set aside. That is, this evening, it begins Yom Kippur all day Thursday until Thursday evening, and it is a high and holy day. I just read today that 85% of all Israelis fast on this day. Now think about this. This is primarily a secular nation and they take this holiday and this holy day so seriously. Many of them are in white, a sign of purity and repentance. Many of them dress in white for that special day. They fast and they afflict their soul before God, just like he said to do in the book of Leviticus. And so this is a high and holy day for Jews around the world, but especially in Israel. And it was on this day that we'll talk about tomorrow where this priest went in, the high priest, the Kohen Hagadol, the high priest went in once a year into this cubicle, into this cube, if you would, that was the holiest place on earth. And there God said, I will meet you when you bring blood with you and you bring sacrifice with you. I'll meet you. He was trying to teach them that there is a way to come to him. There is a way for sin to be forgiven. There is a way for sin to be atoned for. And that is through blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And that is confluent consistently throughout the Bible. And so what is this ark? Well, the ark is 45 inches long, 45 inches. That's all less than four feet. It's 27 inches wide. It's 27 inches deep. And I want to talk to you in just a moment about what was in that. But I want you to just get a picture of this. This was a box. This was a chest. And an ark is a fancy name for a chest. But it was a chest. The chest had a lid on it. And this lid was called in English, the mercy seat. And you'll recall that it was beautifully embroidered. Everything was pure gold, hand-beaten gold. It was spectacular. And it had uh, cherubim. Uh, cherub is one, cherubim plural. So there were 
two, and they were facing each other, and their wings were spread out. They are presented in the Bible, that is, the cherubim, as the guardian of God's glory. I believe that's what Lucifer was. He was a guardian of God's glory, and perhaps the chief guardian, the chief cherub. Before he fell, he was a powerful, powerful creature, still is today, but very corrupt. But remember, he is a created being, and he was created for a purpose. He defiled that purpose and defied that purpose and wanted to be like God, and in him was, the Bible says, was found iniquity. There was found sin in his life, and that sin spread from him through Eve, and then when Adam sinned, then the Scripture says in the book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. Not through Eve. Eve was deceived. Adam knew full well what he was doing, and he sinned purposefully. And in the sense that he chose Eve over God, he chose his way and his own will over God's way and God's will. And so God designed this chest, and he mercifully put a lid on top of it. Now, the reason I say mercifully set a lid on top of it is because over and over again, the people were to come and put sacrifice there, were to put blood there. Now, it's amazing what the book of Hebrews tells us about this particular chest. And it said that it had three items in it. According to Hebrews chapter 9, And verse 4, let's just go to verse 3. And behind the second veil, that is the Holy of Holies, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. And then this is Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 4 which had the golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, that is a pot of manna that God had told the children of Israel to put up as a remembrance of the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and then the tablets of the covenant. Now, there were those three things in this uh, room, and that was uh, what was in the chest. Now, that's interesting that God did that. And I just want you to think about this. Why did God put a lid on that? All of those things were good. I mean, it's the, it's the law of God, the Decalogue, the 10 words, two tablets that God had rewritten with his own finger because Moses broke the first two. Then there was the pot of manna. You'll recall God told the people they needed to put up a pot of manna as a remembrance, as a memorial. There's a certain reason for that. And then Aaron's rod that budded. Now, this is fascinating. All three of these show the great provision and mercy of Almighty God. Now, think about it. You had the law. Man was wandering around everywhere, and the nation of Israel had no moral code to live by. Yes, there was the revelation of who God is and the promises made, but God had never codified, codified that law, the moral law, we call it, and he did that in 10 words. It's called the Decalogue, 10 words. We call those the Ten Commandments. And God wrote those with his own finger and told Moses, 
to teach these, along with many other things, the instruction, the Torah, to his people to help them to understand how to worship him, how to walk with him, how to know him, how to please him. All of this was, this was never intended for salvation. There was no law given that could bring a man to God. No, Abraham was saved through faith by trusting God's word. But God's word needed to be laid out and codified. And so that's exactly what happened. Keeping the law was never a way to God. That was instruction on how to walk with him daily and how to please him and how to know more about who he is and what he's done. God said, put those in the chest. Now think about it. Before Moses even got down off the mountain, they had already broken those laws. Have no other gods before you. Aaron had already made a golden calf. This is continually referred to in the Bible as a great sin because the people would not trust God. They wouldn't even wait on Moses. It was a, a wonderful law. It was it was great what God did, but the people broke the law before Moses even could give it to them. You recall that story, and I don't want to rehearse that right now for time's sake. But secondly, what about that pot of manna? That's God's great provision. The people were moaning and groaning and complaining. Instead of God raining down judgment, he rained down bread on them. The Bible calls it angel's food. It was given not just something they picked off the ground like the TLC channel or the Discovery channel, what I call evolutionary channels, would try to teach you. No, it was a supernatural act of God. Six days a week, five days days a week, it was the same amount, everything that they needed. But then on the sixth day, God miraculously gave them enough to do until Monday, every week. Now think about that. You don't hear that in the TLC and Discovery and all of those evolutionary channels that try to make the miracles nothing more than things that can be explained. You can't explain this. It's supernatural. And so God said, I want you to put that up. But you know what they did? God said, I'm going to give you every day what you need. Sound familiar? Give us this day our daily bread to trust God every day. No, you know what they did? God said, don't try to store it up. If you do, then I'm going to cause it to spoil. What did they do? They went out after God's gracious provision, and they showed their own stubborn will again, and they rebelled against God. Now, think about this. God said, okay, I've been good to you. I've given you provision. I've given you bread. I've given you sustenance. What they do? They spit in the face of God. They shook their fist in the face of God. And so God said, put up a pot of manna. And then what they do, they complained about leadership. They came to Moses and Aaron and said, well, you think you're the only ones that can hear from God? Does this sound familiar? And you're the only ones that can know the will of God. And so the leadership was challenged over and over again. And so they said, well, Aaron's not the only one that needs to be able to do all of this priestly work. And so God said, all right, get the tribal rods out. Now, those are rods that are about a cubit long. They're about a cubit is 18 inches. That's from the tip of my finger. I've measured it many times and had other people to measure it from the tip of my finger to my elbow. That's the length of a man's forearm to the tip of his finger from his elbow. And that way you could have a measurement anywhere you were in the world that was common. There was another cubit, and I don't want to get into that. It's 21 inches long. It's called a royal cubit. But the average man can measure anything 18 inches. It was called a cubit with his forearm from his elbow to the tip of his finger so he doesn't have to have a rule. And that's the way it was measured. And so here's what happened. Those dead pieces of wood were laid out in order. And so what happened? 
Well, God said the rod that buds, that is the one that I've anointed to do the priesthood and called to do the priesthood, so you need to follow their leadership. And so the next day, Aaron's rod not only budded, but it had almonds on it. It was uh, almond wood. It was dead wood, just a piece of wood. And uh, that rod, that elder's rod, that tribal rod, I have one given to me by the Maasai. It's right at 18 inches long, and this is what the elder in the tribe carried who represented the people. And so, and sure enough, God did that, and he said, put that rod in there. Now, very quickly, because I know I'm going over time here, let me just share with you. The reason we need that lid is because God said, I'm going to meet you there, and I cannot look upon something that reminds me of your failure. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have mercy on you. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to put a lid on it, and I'm going to meet you over that lid that covers those reminders that were given for good, that are good in themselves, but you've misused them, you've abused them, you've broken them, and I'm going to cover that up so I can meet with you. Isn't God merciful? That may be why this is called the mercy seat. Now, tomorrow we're going to look at this hilasterion, this mercy seat. We're going to look at the hilasmas, the propitiation that appeased the anger and fulfilled the righteousness and justice of God. We're going to look at that tomorrow, and you're not going to want to miss tomorrow because tomorrow on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur, we're going to look at that kippurette. We're going to look at that covering and just see how it is a reminder of the goodness and the mercy and the graciousness of our dear Lord, our Savior, Jesus the Messiah. I hope that you have a good day today as you walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.